Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading will be from Genesis 17. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to be called call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations Kings of people, peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or bought with his money, every male in the household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Elijah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please prepare our hearts now as we've heard your word read, so we pray that you would speak to us, each according to our need, to consider the glory of your covenant and how you have kept it in Christ Jesus, your Son. Please, Lord, speak to us this day to encourage us in our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to tell the story of the gospel is to tell the story of a family. In fact, you could say that the Bible is the family album. It's the family album that tells the story of God's covenant family. Now, the origins of this family are told in Genesis chapters 1 to 11. And you know how the story goes, right? It begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. Then, on the sixth day, God made Adam and Eve and appointed them as the first humans to rule over the world under God's authority. But Adam and Eve sinned against God and fell from their original state of innocence. Death and judgment entered into our human experience. Life was frustrated by sickness and toil. Cain murdered Abel. And in the days of Noah, God destroyed the earth by a flood, but in his mercy he also made provision for an ark by which means the lives of Noah and his family were saved. If you look in Genesis 11, you'll find that there's a genealogy of Noah's descendants which ends with the names of three brothers, one of whom is Abram. And this is where the story of salvation really begins. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes strong promises to Abram. He promises him a land to live in. He promises him blessing. And he promises him a great family whose members will share in the hope of eternal life. Families matter to God. In fact, God saves us through families. You may not realise it, but your salvation as a Christian depends upon you being known by God as a member of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to inherit the blessings that were promised to Abraham of a blessed life and a blessed land, then you must first belong to his family. You must first belong to God's covenant family. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses to David to Jesus, right up to the present day, God is building his family. Today we call it the church. It's the family of faith. So that's what we're going to look at today, God's covenant family. We'll meet God himself as El Shaddai, the all-powerful, all-sufficient one. We'll meet Father Abraham and Mother Sarah and the children, Isaac and Ishmael. We'll also discuss the importance of the sign of circumcision. So we've got plenty to cover today, haven't we? The first point that I'd like to make, though, is that God's covenant with Abraham is foundational to the blessings that you and I receive as Christians. It's foundational. It has to be there in order for the promises to be built upon and delivered. The covenant 
anchors our salvation to the promises that God made. The promises he made to Abraham extend through to the life of the church. And the church becomes the centre of God's saving activity in the world today. And this is important because the history of our world is still being shaped by this covenant today. God is building his family through his covenant with Abraham. So this is what we're going to do today. First, we'll look at the terms and conditions of the covenant. We'll see how they apply to us through faith in Jesus. And in the process, we're going to meet God's covenant family. This is the good news of the gospel, in fact, that we might share in the inheritance of Abraham and his offspring, along with all the saints throughout history, because we are covenant kids too. We are covenant kids too. We belong to God's family of faith. So I begin with the Lord of the covenant, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. This name of God has been translated as God Almighty in our passage today. If you look in verse 1, it says God Almighty. You look at the footnote, it says El Shaddai. I'm going to keep the original this morning, El Shaddai, because I think it is a powerful name. It's a beautiful name. And it speaks into the circumstances of Abraham especially. So I'm reading from verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, the all-powerful, the all-sufficient one. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a very ancient name used by the patriarchs, by Abraham, Isaac and Jacob especially. It means that God is mighty to save. It means that our God is the God who makes the impossible possible. It means that there's nothing God can't do. He is the almighty one, the all-sufficient one. God is saying, Abraham, or Abram at this point, I can overcome the impossibilities that you are currently facing as a 99-year-old man. I can overcome those challenges. Trust me. I am El Shaddai, the all-powerful, the all-sufficient one. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. This he says to a 99-year-old man. Even though 13 years have now passed since last week's debacle with Hagar, God is about to start a family through this most unlikely couple, Abram and Sarai. You have to wonder though, don't you, how is it even possible for an aged couple like this to become parents? You and I know it's humanly impossible. But that's the point, isn't it? The church is an impossible family. And yet here we are. Born of the Spirit, born of Christ. Each one a miracle of the new birth. The church is an impossible family. How do we become brothers and sisters? How did we become children of Abraham? Only by grace. El Shaddai. Nothing is impossible 
for the Lord God Almighty. So yes, Abraham will be a father again at the age of 100, and miraculously his wife Sarah will be the mother of his child at 90. This is no ordinary family. Really, there is no birth more miraculous than this birth of Isaac, except for the birth of our Saviour Jesus. Other than the birth of Jesus, isn't the birth of Isaac the most miraculous birth in the Bible? Such miraculous births prove that our salvation is not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Truly, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. El Shaddai. He gives us new birth and places us in his family. Then he calls us to live blamelessly before him. From now on, Abram will be called Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And Sarai will be called Sarah, which means princess. For Sarah herself will become the mother of nations and kings will come from her. And God said to Abraham, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. Isaac means laughter. I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. This is the promise of El Shaddai the God who makes the impossible possible. So today, if you belong to God's covenant family in Christ, then I want to suggest that Abraham is your father and Sarah is your mother. And this is God's purpose for you, that you should be his people and he should be your God. He should be your El Shaddai. He should be your all-sufficient, almighty Lord who blesses you with new life, a new future, and even a new name, just as he gave new names to Abram and Sarai. Your new name is Christian, one belonging to Christ. And well may we say, welcome to the family, this family that God is building by faith. So let's now hear what God has to say to Father Abraham in verses 3 to 8. This is where God reconfirms his promises that he's already made, but he's confirming them again, and now calls on Abraham to live henceforth a life of faithful obedience. Live before me blamelessly. And he goes on to say, verse 3, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. There is a great joy in Abraham's new name and a great hope for the future. He will be the father of a great family and through him all the peoples of the world will be blessed. And God said to Abraham, this is in verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God is building a family. And he says, the whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. An everlasting covenant for all generations with an everlasting possession. You can see where this is leading, can't you? Kings will be born to Abraham, but not only that, ultimately one day the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus himself, will enter into our world as part of that covenant family. As we read in our Bible reading this morning, Son of Abraham, Son of God. This is our Lord Jesus. And I want you to note, in particular, powerful repetition of the words, I will, throughout this passage, as God, El Shaddai, speaks to Father Abraham. He says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant and I will be their God. I will, I will, I will, says God to Abraham. For the ultimate blessing that God can give us as his people, isn't this so, is to have that eternal relationship with God himself, our creator, becomes our friend, becomes our father. He is our God and we are his people. It's the greatest blessing of all. And if we could only appreciate the magnificence of God's covenant love for his people, for you and for me, then our experience of the Christian life will be enriched and transformed. In light of God's covenant love, how God has loved us, so we should love one another. I believe that our marriages would be strengthened as we reflect on the covenants that God has made with us Let us reflect on the covenants that we make with one another. Our marriages would be strengthened. Our ministries would be enriched. Our experience of worship would be deepened. Our love for people would be magnified. Our passion for prayer would be revived as we rejoice in this fellowship and know that we are his people and he is our God. It's good to meditate on this. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. But that's not all. There's more. In verses 15 to 21, my third point today, God's promise to Abraham is also a promise to his wife, Sarah. After that disastrous attempt to have a child through Hagar, which we looked at last week, Sarah needs comfort and redemption too, doesn't she? So if you come down to verses 15 to 21 in your Bibles, you'll see that there is an important redemptive moment taking place here. Sarah is about to be blessed by El Shaddai. Soon she will not only become a mother, but the mother of a multitude. So this is my third point about Mother Sarah. Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, princess. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. 
I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Well, Abram, not surprisingly, finds this hard to believe at first, and he even laughs at the idea. And Sarah will also laugh when he, she hears of it later on in chapter 18. It's just such a, an astonishing thought that Abraham and Sarah should have a son at this stage of their lives. It's not that Abraham is dishonouring God. No, he deeply respects God's power and authority. He falls face down in front of the Lord. We see his respect for God in his attitude, in his position before God. But this laughter of his is an outburst of astonishment because nothing like this has ever happened before in the history of the world. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? <laughs> and Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Humanly speaking, you and I know, and Abraham knew, that Sarah's pregnancy was impossible. So why not just stick with Ishmael? But no, El Shaddai delights to make the impossible possible. And in this he is highly exalted. So we read in verse 19, yes, yes I hear you Abraham, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac, as I said, it means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Yes, I'll care for him as well. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks about that glorious day when Abraham understood for the first time how God's plan was to be fulfilled. He had trusted that God would make it so. Now the penny drops. It was on this day, as God explained how Sarah, his wife, would give birth to Isaac, that Abraham laughed with a holy joy, for Isaac was to be the one through whom the blessings would flow to Jesus and on to us. If I come into the New Testament now, into John chapter 8, reading from verse 56, Jesus is responding to questions from the Pharisees who were challenging Jesus about his true identity. And Jesus said to them, Your father Abraham, notice, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Come on. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the divine name of God, isn't it? Before Abraham was, I am. And at this, the Jews, understanding what Jesus had said, picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Oh, something amazing is going on, isn't it? 
According to Jesus, Abraham rejoiced to see the day of his Lord. Abraham saw the end from the beginning and he knew on that day that God's plan would succeed. He saw, as it were, his future family, you and me. He understood that his spiritual offspring would be Jesus Christ the Lord. And that through Jesus, God's covenant family would be blessed with an eternal relationship with his God, El Shaddai. The God who makes the impossible possible. Abraham got it. But as Jesus explains this to the Jews, they were outraged. And so Jesus challenged them to look more closely into their own hearts. This was an awkward conversation. Just before it, tempers were fraying. Back in John chapter 8, verse 39, the Jews defend their own parentage. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you were determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Oh, we're going to change the subject. Now uh, God's our father. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. And Jesus went on actually then to accuse them of being children of the devil, which made them very, very upset indeed. But it was true. They were not children of Abraham, neither were they children of God, although they claimed to be and even believed that they were, but they were wrong. They weren't born of the Spirit, and so they didn't belong to God's covenant family. As Jesus will say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, meaning that your human parentage is irrelevant to your spiritual birth. If you want to be born again, if you want to be part of God's covenant family, repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Then the Holy Spirit will come and by his power you will receive that gift of adoption into the family and the gift of eternal life. The promises that God made to Abraham will become yours when you are brought into the family by faith. In this way, you become a child of Abraham and a child of God indeed. So far this morning, we've looked at the promises that God made to Abraham and to Sarah. And we've seen how God's plan includes the birth of a miraculous yet-to-be-born son named Isaac. In verse 21, God said, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you about this time next year. So where does that leave Ishmael? Let's come back to the other son for a moment. Well, Ishmael is Abram's son according to the flesh. So for Ishmael to be saved, what would Ishmael need to do to be saved? 
He must remain in the covenant family under the headship of Abraham and Isaac, just as we today need to remain in the church under the headship of Jesus. To be part of God's family means living under the lordship of the head of the house. Whether it's Abraham or Isaac or Jesus, the call remains to love and obey our Lord and King. So we need to fit into the family and belong to it. But there's another matter to deal with today, which is the sign of the covenant or circumcision. Under the covenant with Abraham, circumcision was the sign of a man's obedience to God and of his duty to his family. It was a sign in the flesh. It was a bloody sign and a painful one too, I would expect, signifying the desire to cut away the corruption of the flesh and to live henceforth for the Lord our God. So verse 9, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Well, as you can see, there's quite a bit of detail in here. The important thing for us today, though, is the fact that Abraham was already saved by faith before he was circumcised. Remember, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Back in Genesis 15, before he was circumcised, Abraham had come to faith in the promises of God. He already believed. And having believed, God gave him the sign of circumcision sign of the old covenant which he received in his flesh as his first work of obedience to the Lord, a response to God, to what God has asked him to do. The sign of circumcision marked a man in the flesh, but it was only an outward sign. It was a sign of your belonging to the covenant community, just like my wedding ring is a sign of my marriage to my wife. It's an outward sign. You and I know that outward signs are only as effective as the inward reality. You can wear a wedding ring and behave in a manner that is entirely unworthy of marriage. So you can be circumcised or even baptised and behave in a manner that is entirely unworthy of the family of God. Nevertheless, it is a sign of your belonging to the covenant community And if a Jewish man ever needed to prove his identity, he only needed to lift his robe and there you had it. But what use was the sign without a genuine faith in God? Without faith, it was a sign that pointed to nothing. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul says about it. Romans chapter 4, reading from verse 9. He's arguing this point that 
Circumcision in itself is nothing unless it is joined with faith. He says, We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who, are, who not only are circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The sign and seal of the covenant of grace during the time of Abraham was circumcision and it remained the sign until after the resurrection of Jesus. All the men and all the baby boys on their eighth day had to be circumcised in the flesh as a sign of their belonging to God's covenant family, they and their households. So in the final few verses of our passage, Abraham obeys God's command circumcises himself, Ishmael, and the whole household. Verse 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Abraham submitted to the sign of circumcision because he believed in the promises of God. His circumcision was an outward sign of his inner willingness to live by faith. And it was a seal of that commitment. I mean, circumcision is no joke. One of the things that set circumcision amongst the Jews, apart from circumcision which happened in other communities, is that it was done to the child at just eight days old. They also circumcised their infants. For us today, it's no longer circumcision, but baptism. Baptism replaces the sign of circumcision. Like circumcision, it's an outward sign of an inner reality for those who belong to the covenant family of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sign not only for adults, but also for little children. Those who are born into the family of faith ought to receive the sign of the covenant family. That's why circumcision was applied to the children of believing parents at just eight days of age. And that's why we baptise children today as well. In the Presbyterian Church, we affirm and support the idea of covenant baptism. Baptism into the covenant community and family of God. For God's grace applies to every member of the family, regardless of age. But unless and until there is faith, the sign, whether circumcision or baptism, is useless. It's not the sign that saves you, it's what it points to that matters. It's like having a key to a house but never using the key. 
You don't get into the house until you use the key. Only the inward reality of a living relationship between you and God is the relationship that matters. But where that relationship is real, the sign is powerful. It's a means of grace, an opportunity for us to remember all that God has done for us. So in conclusion today, let's wrap this up. Five things at least we've learnt this morning. Five things. First, we've learnt that the Bible is like a family album. It tells us the story of God's covenant family. It is a record of God's dealing with his people from Abraham to Abraham's offspring, who is Jesus Christ. And it tells us how we must be saved, how we must become part of that family in order to enjoy the privileges and benefits, the promises that God made to Abraham that will come to us. The Bible is like the family album. Second, we've learnt that the church is an impossible family, and yet here we are. You are a miracle birth, and this is all God's doing. So don't forget to thank him for the miracle of that new life that you've received if you are in Christ. Something to rejoice in every time you come to church and throughout your entire life that you are here as a miracle of God's grace. Third, we've learned that God is still building his family through his covenant with Abraham. New members are still being added every day, becoming heirs of the promises to Abraham of a blessed land and a blessed new life that will endure forever with the Lord who has rescued us. Fourth, we've seen that God gives us new birth and places us in, in his family and then calls us to live blamelessly before him. The faith that alone saves is never alone but is always accompanied by good works. Wherever there is genuine faith, there will be signs of its activity in your life. A change of heart will mean a change of lifestyle. Of that you can be sure. And finally, this sign of baptism, which we receive today as Christians, is an outward sign of an inner reality for those who belong to the covenant family of our Lord Jesus Christ today. And yes, it is appropriate to baptise our children if we are people of faith ourselves, for our children are bought, born into the family and must be raised in the faith that we ourselves have as their parents. Anyone, though, who is a believer and is either not baptised themselves or has not baptised their children, is actually not living in accordance with God's purpose for their lives. You are taking away a blessing that God gave in the Old Testament that they ought to receive also in the New. It's not just about you. It's about the whole family that God is working with. Also, it seems to me the largest part of the Christian church that needs to hear the gospel is the next generation. So when it comes to sharing the gospel, our first priority must be to our children to make sure that they know and understand the promises that God has set before us are for them as well to own and to walk in and to rejoice in. We need to give them the key that we've received that they might open the door to Christ, as it were, that he might enter into their lives too. Today we've seen that God's covenant with Abraham is foundational to the blessings that we now receive as Christians. 
The covenant with Abraham anchors our salvation to the promises of God and makes the church the centre of God's saving activity in the world today. Welcome to God's covenant family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have accomplished this astonishing work of grace that through the ages you have called to yourself those whom you have chosen You've led us into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, Abraham's offspring, that we might become part of your family, part of the family of faith, and inherit all the good things that you have laid before us in the promises that you made all those years ago to Abraham and Sarah. So we thank you for Father Abraham. We thank you for Mother Sarah. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus, Abraham's offspring, in whom we have redemption and eternal life. And we give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.